A closer look, your favorite verses explored. We've been looking at very, very quoted, very, very well-known verses of the Bible. And it's been really neat to dig in a little deeper because sometimes the verses that we read mean exactly what we thought they mean. And they're just deeper and more powerful than maybe we even realized. Sometimes they're a little bit taken out of context. Maybe there's, they're part of the truth, but not the whole truth. And this week, we get one that I know must be a highly quoted verse, and it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You can see why this is an often quoted verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This means that God knows you. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. And he's got a plan for your life. He's got things he wants to do in you. And these plans are good plans. Have you ever felt like the world was stacked against you? Like no matter what you did, everything fell apart. No matter what you tried to do, people came against you. It says here that God has a plan, plan to prosper you, not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future. This isn't it. There's a future. There's a hope. There's a good plan from God. So you can see why this is such an often quoted verse in the Bible. I love this verse, but we need to get a closer look, dig in a little bit, and make sure that we understand what this is talking about. Because this is an Old Testament verse written to part of the nation of Israel. And uh, let's, get, let's get a grasp of what's going on with Jeremiah 29, 11. We're going to start with me telling a story about teaching Sunday school. When I was in my 20s, I went to a meeting because on the Sunday morning service, they said, we need Sunday school teachers show up at this time and you can be a Sunday school teacher. So I was like, well, all right, I'm going to go be a Sunday school teacher. So I went to the Sunday school teacher meeting and all the ladies were shocked that this young guy shows up. This, you know, I was in my 20s at that point, shows up for the Sunday school teacher meeting and uh, they were thrilled to have a young guy there wanting to teach Sunday school. So they gave me the third and fourth grade boys. So I was the Sunday school teacher for the third and fourth grade boys, and it was great. And, you know, back then I, I did not understand crowd control. That helped me to learn crowd control because you've got to keep the attention of the third and fourth grade boys or it goes bad in a hurry. And, you know, they'd like be under the table and be like, oh, you can sit if you want. And it just didn't work. You know, you got to be a little bit more authoritative. But while we were going through the Sunday school lessons, we were covering the exodus. You know, the escape of the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt and their progression into the promised land. And as we were going through this, I noticed something that I just hadn't fully grasped before. And it's amazing thing that God has done through history. And it's that the history of the nation of Israel is like a parable of the lives that we each live with God. The things that the nation of Israel went through, the obstacles, the difficulties, the roadblocks, and the milestones are very much like the same things that we experience personally. And that's so important for us to know when we're looking at Jeremiah 29, 11, because it's at a very significant point in the history of the nation of Israel that Jeremiah 29, 11 comes up. So let's just do a quick overview of the history of the nation of Israel. 
in 30 seconds or less. Starts with Abraham. Abraham, man of faith, called by God. Go to a place I'll show you. He has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel. He has 12 sons, four wives, 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. They end up getting uh, in the middle of a famine. So they go to Egypt. There's a long story associated with that. They end up in Egypt. Things are going great in Egypt for a couple hundred years. But then Pharaoh forgets about what Joseph had done and all this sort of a thing. And they become a slave nation in Egypt. They're there for a couple more hundred years. Then Moses is let my people go. And they get set free from their bondage in Egypt. And they go to the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. When they get to the borders of the promised land, they look in. It is flowing with milk and honey. This is fantastic. Except there's giants in the land. The people get scared. They refuse to obey God and go take the land. So God sends them to wander in the desert for 40 years. So they wander in the desert for 40 years. Then all those cowards are dead. They take the next generation. They go in into the promised land. They take on the giants, you know, and they pretty much conquer the land, but they sort of don't completely conquer the land and they sort of intermix and, and the nation of Israel is having trouble with idolatry. They're having trouble with really following the laws of God. They're sort of kind of following the laws of God and sort of kind of loving God only, but they're mixing in these other things and they settle in the land and then there gets to be some, uh, some strife and some infighting and the nation of Israel has some civil wars and it splits into the northern kingdom. 10 tribes, Israel and the southern kingdom, two tribes, which is Judah. Then they're weakened by their disunity and Assyria takes over the northern kingdom, hauls them away. They become exiles. And now you just have Judah down here. The northern kingdom never recovers from that, by the way. And then Babylon becomes a, a world power over Assyria. They come in and take over the southern kingdom and haul people away to Babylon. And then they're in Babylon for 70 years. Then with Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall, reestablish temple worship. And they're there back in Jerusalem. So Israel is back. And then that goes into a time where like, let's not mess this up again. So, but then instead of being the kind of loose followers of God, they become legalistic. That's where the rise of the Sadducees and the Pharisees happen. And then Jesus comes in and uh, changes everything and brings us into the new covenant. So that's a quick, <laughs> quick recap of the nation of Israel. Thank you. And Jeremiah is in the Southern kingdom at the time when Babylon is taking them over. He's been warning the people, you've got to follow God and only God. You've got to be walking in the ways of God or the judgment of God will come and we'll be hauled away by the Babylonians. And the people are like, ah, it's going to be fine. And that's why they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet because he's, he's weeping over his nation and the, the wrath that is coming and the people are not listening. So that's the, the general situation that we're in. The Babylonian captivity has actually begun. Jerusalem has not been destroyed yet, but it's going to be very soon. And then everybody's going to be hauled away. Most people to Babylon, some escape in different ways, that sort of a thing. So let's go back to Jeremiah 29, 11 and read this from that context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is spoken by the prophet who's saying, we've disobeyed God. The wrath of God is coming. 
We're going to be just decimated and we're going to be hauled off into captivity. But don't forget, God has a plan. It will not end in our destruction. It will not end the nation of Israel. It'll just be a rough time that we need to learn from. So one of the important things that we need to understand about Jeremiah 29, 11 is that it's deeper than everything's going to be okay. You know, when people use this verse in a overgeneralized form of, you know what, everything's going to be great because God's got a plan and it's going to work out fantastic and everything's going to be wonderful. Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 is in the context of the Babylonian captivity. It's in the context of the wrath of God. They're going to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. How many people are coming back home? They're not coming back home. I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, but you're going to die in Babylon. It's going to be judgment against the nation, but the nation will rise again. That's what this is talking about. There is a great plan, but it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out great for everybody. And that's where we run into problems is where people think, well, we'll just quote the verse and everything will work out great for us. Everything works out great for those who are in obedience to God, who are following the ways of God, who have received the forgiveness of God and have pledged their lives to walk with God. Now you've got giants to fight. You've got obstacles. People get martyred. It can be, it can be tough, but it's better than walking away from God because you never face the wrath of God. You face the opposition of the devil, but you don't face the wrath of God when you are walking obedient before God. So We need to recognize that there are two destinies for people. There is heaven and there is hell. There is abundant life and there is a life of darkness. There are two ways that we can go. And if we go with God, we can believe the promises. But if we go away from God, we have to deal with the reality that those promises don't apply to us. So it's very, very important to understand there are these two directions. There's heaven and hell. There's abundant life and there's darkness. There's abundant life or there's regret. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. The context of this is they're about to go into the promised land and God is telling them how to keep it. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. How's that for a verse that's got all kinds of stuff in it? I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. So what God is saying to the nation of Israel is you've got a choice to make. You can go with me, you can have life and prosperity, or you can go your own way, you can reject and be in disobedience to God, then you can expect death and destruction. Verse 16, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away and bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So God says you can have it or you can lose it. It's up to you. If you walk in obedience, you honor God above all and you walk in God's ways, it'll work out well for you. If you don't, it'll fall apart. Well, they didn't and it fell apart. So they were suffering because of their disobedience. So Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't mean everything works out great for everybody. What it meant to them was we've failed God, but God still loves us. And he's going to restore eventually after a very heavy price is paid. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 was talking about. And then just to drive that home, Jeremiah 29, 18 and 19 says this. So here he's talking to the people who are going to refuse to obey the newest prophecy, which is go ahead and go into exile in Babylon, go ahead and submit to that exile. And he says to those who refuse to do that, This is God speaking through Jeremiah. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. So here we see Jeremiah 29, 11 is a beautiful, beautiful verse, but in the same chapter, there's judgment as well. So we need to realize that there's two sides to this coin, that we can walk with God and experience the blessings of God, or we can be disobedient from God and experience the hardships of God. And the nation of Israel saw this over and over. They would walk away from God. They would repent. God would restore them. They'd feel good for a while. They'd walk away from God. God would judge them. They'd repent. They'd come back. You know, there was this ebb and flow. And that ebb and flow is something that people can experience in their own lives. We can have it be going good. Then we get complacent. Then we slip into things we shouldn't be dealing with. And then God helps us wake up and then we wake up and we get back. And and that can be very much like how the nation of Israel experienced this. And so let's dig into the deeper context here, because I want to look at what exactly was going on so that we can have that full understanding of Jeremiah 29, 11, And then we'll look at how the history of Israel is a parable of our lives. Let's read Jeremiah 28, starting in verse 1. We have competing prophets. You know, in today's world, we also have competing prophets. There are people that will tell you one thing, and there are people that will tell you another. But we need to stay true to the scriptures. We need to stay true to God. And make sure that you're listening to the right influence. And the, the right influence really is the scriptures. And so people who represent the scriptures are helping you. They're like Jeremiah. But then here there were competing prophets. In today's world, we also have competing prophets. So Jeremiah 28. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azar, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. So Hananiah is saying, guess what? We're going to be free from the Babylonians. Within two years, it's all going to be great. Verse four, 
I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hanani before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen, may the Lord do so. So Jeremiah is pretty excited. He's like, Hanani is giving a prophecy that we're all going to be set free from the, the tyranny of Babylon. That's awesome. It's not that Jeremiah was just a negative person and just wanted bad things to happen to everybody. He wanted good things to happen. He hears this prophecy from Hanani. He's like, sweet. We're going to get free from Babylon. That's fantastic. Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophets who prophesied peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. Back then, they did a lot of like <clears throat> theatrical things. Jeremiah was talking about the wrath of God through Babylon to the nation of Israel, and it was a yoke that God had put on them. And so he would literally carry around a wooden yoke on his shoulders to symbolize what God was doing. And Hananiah takes the yoke off of Jeremiah and breaks it to symbolize the freedom from Babylon. And everybody's all stoked and excited, and they're jumping up and down. Verse 11, and he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says in the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Everybody's happy. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So everything's going good. It's all good news. Everybody's happy, except they're just making stuff up. You don't get to just make stuff up. You got to listen to what God has to say. Verse 13, go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place, you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. So hopefully this is going to get more encouraging by the time we get to verse 11 of the next chapter. Let's jump to uh, verse 5 of chapter 29. And we'll see now Jeremiah is talking to the the nation, to, to Judah, and telling them how to deal with the exile. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant guards and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He's saying, you're going into exile in Babylon. Get comfortable. Build houses, plant gardens, get married. Have your kids get married. Have grandkids, you know, but don't wither. Still prosper even in Babylon. Still increase even in Babylon. But get comfortable because you're going to be there a long time. Verse 7, 
Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So he says, you're going into captivity in Babylon. Get comfortable there, but also pray for Babylon, because if it's working well in Babylon, it's going to work well for you. It's an amazing, amazing thought. Verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams. Uh, You encourage them to have. That's just, oh, there's a beautiful turn there. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. It's the same itching ear thing that we see in the New Testament. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. When 70 years are completed, the exile is going to last 70 years. It'll be 70 years before the temple is rebuilt, before the walls are reconstructed, before this is restored. It'll be 70 years. Next verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. And a future. See, the context of Jeremiah 29 11 is tremendous hardship, the wrath of God, and the decimation of Judah. Very shortly, Jerusalem will be destroyed, and those who don't flee to other countries will be hauled off into exile in Babylon. Already, some are in exile. And the, the point that God is making through Jeremiah is that you're going to face something terrible and it's going to last a long time, longer than their lives, 70 years of captivity. But God's plan has not failed. God will see that Israel will rise again. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is all about. How do we tie this in and understand it? How do we grab hold of something for ourselves personally? Well, of course, we need to realize that Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't a cutesy little verse that just means everything's going to be okay. It means that even in the midst of the wrath of God, the trials and the difficulties that we face, we can believe that God's plan will overcome if we turn to God. But if we don't turn to God, of course, then the promise doesn't count for anything because the promise is for those who are obedient and who have committed themselves to the Lord and to the ways of the Lord. So let's look at this history of Israel again. I want to look at four specific things and see where we fit in. The first one is the promised land. You know, Israel made it to the promised land and they were there for a while. And if your experience of walking with God right now is a promised land experience, you're in the land flowing with milk and honey, you're in your place of prosperity, everything seems to be working great, well, hallelujah. I sure hope that's true. I feel like Cloquet, me and Trinette, we believe that Cloquet is our place of prosperity. We're in our promised land. This is fantastic. We're loving life here in Cloquet. We were playing a get-to-know-you game with some people a couple of years ago, and one of the questions, you know, just little questions you're supposed to talk about was, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? And we just looked at each other and thought, Cloquet, Minnesota. <laughs> That's where if we live anywhere in the world. We want to be right here because this is awesome. And maybe you're in your place of prosperity. You're in your promised land. You know, there's still battles and, and difficulties and struggles in the promised land. But man, is it way better than Egypt. But maybe you're in Egypt. Egypt symbolizes the bondage that you're born into. Israel 
was a slave nation in Egypt. They'd been there 400 years. The first couple hundred years were pretty good. Then it got worse and worse as they were subjugated and brought into slavery. And the people were all born into slavery in Egypt. Just like we're born into slavery to the world, we're born into the the bondage to uh to just the ways of the world and not knowing the ways of God. We're born into certain things that just hold us back, hold us down, and we need to be free from that. We need to get born again. We need to be brought into something new. That's like the nation of Israel through Moses getting set free from Egypt and walking out of the bondage of the past and into their future. So you might be in Egypt where you're still bound to the old ways. You're still caught in the old life and you haven't got free yet. You get free by the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers us by what he did on the cross. The price has been paid and we can be set free. Just as Moses came in and he freed the nation of Israel from Pharaoh, so Jesus has came in and he frees us from our past, from our sins, and he allows us to step into our future. But if you notice, the nation of Israel didn't go directly from Egypt into the promised land. They went from Egypt to look at the promised land and then they went into the desert so freedom from egypt didn't put them in the promised land they actually ended up in the desert because when they looked at the promised land they saw it was a land flowing with milk and honey the promises were true but it was full of giants tremendous warriors incredible men that had been warriors from their youth and they just they're like we felt like grasshoppers when we were looking at them they just were completely intimidated and god said go take the land you go fight them and they're like no i ain't going and so he said okay you want you don't want to go to the promised land you're going to the desert so they wound up in the desert so freedom from egypt doesn't necessarily put you in the promised land And that's something that I think really can mess with some people who have given their lives to Christ because, okay, you're out of Egypt, but you end up in the desert. You know, you're like, I thought this was going to be better. (laughs) I thought getting set free from the old was going to put me into this wonderful thing, but I'm in the desert instead. The skills that you need to get out of Egypt are different from the skills you need to get into the promised land. And I, I like to think of it this way. You know, we get forgiven And that breaks us free from the past, but that doesn't get us into our future. Just like you can apologize, but that can never give you integrity. You know, an apology does never produce integrity. You can not do what you say and apologize and you, maybe they'll forgive you and that's nice, but you're never going to be a person of your word through an apology. You can't get to integrity through apologizing and you can't get to the promised land through forgiveness. You have to fight the giants. You have to take on the obstacles in your life and you have to overcome. That's the only way to get into the promised land. You don't get forgiven into the promised land. You get forgiven out of Egypt, but you have to walk by faith to get into the promised land. You have to overcome the obstacles to get into the promised land. But if you're scared to do that, you're scared to follow the ways of God, then you end up in the desert and the desert stinks. Of course, then they went from the desert into the promised land, but then they lost the promised land and went back into captivity. They went into Babylon. And maybe, maybe you're in Babylon. Maybe you know what it's like to be in the promised land for a while, to walk with God and to have that sweet experience. But right now, it's just not working. Right now, it's slipped. That beautiful, beautiful life with God that you had is something that's a memory rather than a present-day reality. And that's Babylon. And if that's where you're at, 
Jeremiah 29, 11 is very powerful because that means that you don't have to stay in Babylon. You don't have to say, yep, this is, this is my lot. I guess I've just failed God and that's it. I'm out. No, he knows the plans he's got for you. He wants to bring you home. He wants to bring you to the place where you can rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall and have that relationship with him again. So Egypt, the desert, Babylon, and the promised land. Which one do we want to be in? I want to be in the promised land. But how many Christians do you think are living in the promised land? I mean, if we were going to put a percentage on it, I talk to a lot of people. I'd say 20%. A lot of people, they're just at that stage where they've left Egypt, but they still kind of wish they were there. You know, like the nation of Israel, after they got out of Egypt, they were so mad at Moses. They're like, what? Did you take us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Oh man, did we eat good in Egypt? You know, like they're looking back at that life of bondage and yearning for it. Well, that's not the promised land. Then they, they end up in the desert. They're wandering. They're miserable. They're not being taken care of like they were in Egypt, but they're, they're free, but they're wandering in the desert. So many people are in that place where they just haven't been able to enter in because they haven't learned the skills to to beat the giants, to face the giants in their lives and to overcome. They can't take the land. So they end up in the desert. And then there are people that in their faith walk, they hit the wall. You know, bad things happen. When Israel took the land and all the 12 tribes settled in their different areas, They ended up fighting with each other. And when they fought with each other, they were weakened enough to where they were taken out. I don't know about you, but if you've been in a church setting where there's been strife and difficulty and struggle, it can not just affect the strength of the church, but it can affect the personal individual and they can get pulled away. And now instead of the joy of the Lord, you've got this like, and I remember years ago when it was awesome, but now it's just not. And that's a Babylon experience. And I want us each personally to evaluate where are we at? If you're in the promised land, boy, I hope so. Hallelujah for that. You got to keep it. You know, it takes faith to conquer the giants and take the promised land. You've got to conquer all these different things. You've got your self-image stuff you've got to deal with. There's the patterns of this world that you've got to be transformed into. The renewing of your mind to grab hold of the ways of God. There's all these different things that we've got to overcome to be able to get into the promised land. But then you've got to keep it. You know, if you become complacent in the promised land, you lose it. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about losing the abundant life in Christ that you'd be living. It slips away. Maybe you're still in Egypt. You know, you've never pledged your life to Christ. You've never broken free from the pattern of this world. You've never broken free from the bondage that you were born into. You're just still in that same place. You haven't been born again. You're just in Egypt still. Today's a good day to get free from that. But I tell you what, it's easy to go from Egypt to the desert. The desert is where you haven't fully committed to Christ. Yeah, you want to be forgiven. That's great. I don't want to be stuck in bondage anymore. I want to be free. You know, the sun sets you free. You're free indeed. Hallelujah. But you haven't fully given your life to Christ. You're not walking in obedience. You're not overcoming the giants. Then you end up in the desert. You want to get out of the desert. Take the promised land by faith. And then maybe you've been in the promised land, but it's faded on you. And you've been carried away. Now you're in exile in Babylon. You're in that place where you need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You need to get back. Our closing verse is going to be, Matthew 7, 
13 and 14. Don't settle for Egypt. Don't settle for the desert. Don't settle for Babylon. But you got to fight. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. One of the steps on the narrow road is self-evaluation. A lot of people, especially I think in today's culture, just look at other people and blame them. And then they're good. That's the wide road. The narrow road is looking at me, looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? Am I an honest follower of Jesus or, or what? So let's look in the mirror. Let's find out where we are. Are we in Egypt, the desert, promised land, Babylon? Where are we? Let's get ourselves on the right path so that we can grab hold of the blessings of God, both for this life to be effective and productive in our service to the Lord and for everlasting life. So let's pray together, bow your heads. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you do have a plan for us. Thank you that you want to prosper us, give us a hope and a future. But Lord, we're not always in the middle of experiencing that. So Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us here right now and show us where we are. We want to know. We want to know where we are so that we can get to the promised land, so that we can grab hold of the promises that you have for us, so that we can live that abundant life and not be stuck in something else. If you're here this morning and you know you've never broken free from the bondage in this world that you were born into, you've never gotten free from that. You haven't received the the freedom and forgiveness from God that makes you born again and sends you into a new life. If you haven't received that, I want you to raise your hand. If you feel like you're in Egypt, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Lord, you know them and you know exactly what they're going through. Lord, they feel like they're stuck in Egypt. But Lord, we know that, that you break us free. Just as Moses brought your message and set the nation of Israel free. So Lord Jesus, you through the blood you shed on the cross, set us free from the past. I pray, Lord, that they would understand the freedom that you give them in power, that they would ask for that forgiveness, and that they would say, Lord, help me be born again. Help me to live a new life. Help me not to be just saying the right words, but still in Egypt. Help me to be free. Then there are those who, who got free, but then they wound up in the desert. Instead of in the promised land, they ended up in this dry, difficult place not a place of victory, not a place of overcoming, but the desert. If you feel like you're in the desert, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you if you feel like you're stuck in the desert. Lord, for those who feel stuck in the desert, they know, they know to walk with you. But just like the nation of Israel, they got free from Egypt. They thought everything was going to be great. And they end up in this desert. Lord, we know you've got a good plan. You've got a good plan for them to bring them into the fullness of the promise. Lord, I pray right now you would show them what their narrow path looks like, what steps they need to take to be able to to conquer the giants and to get into that fullness of the the goodness of your plan for their life. Some people are are in Babylon. They've had seasons of, of wonderful times with the Lord, but now it's just not like that anymore. It's like the temple has been sacked and the walls have been broken down and that relationship has suffered and you find yourself in Babylon. If that's you, you feel like you've lost something and you want to get it back. 
I want you to raise your hand. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. For the nation of Israel, it was 70 years in Babylon. But then the rebuilding of the temple. But then the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Then the reestablishment of the temple services. The reestablishment of that relationship. And so, Lord, for those who raise their hand, I pray that you would show them how to walk into that new season of vibrancy with you, that new season of faith and excitement about living life for you and bring them into that place of abundant life. Lord, for each of us, we know you've got a good plan. We know you have a good plan for us personally, for us as a church. Lord, for the body of Christ as a whole, you've got a good plan. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you so that we can walk in it and not stray somewhere else. So Lord, I pray you'd bless us with faith. You'd bless us with joy. You'd bless us with peace. And you would bless us with the knowledge of how much you love us and care for us. Lord, so that we can be filled up to the full measure of your love and have love to share with this world. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.